Welcome to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the answer to life, the universe, and everything is sex workers. I'm your host, Parker Westwood, and I'd like to take a minute to thank all of the new listeners. Um, There was an article that came out recently in Thompson Reuters by Christine Murray, and the amount of listeners to this show skyrocketed. So welcome, uh, and thank you for listening. There's a lot of different ways you can support the podcast. You can tell your friends about it. You can post and tag us in social media. Uh, we're on Twitter, at SexyGalaxyPod. You can leave a glowing review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And you can get on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash SexyGalaxyPod and become a patron. There's a lot of different tiers, and you are welcome. And if you can't spare the change right now, not a problem. Just keep listening. I'm so glad to have you listening to this show. That's what I put it out here for. Okay, into the episode. I am so thrilled to bring you this interview. Uh, Someone was referred to me by someone else who I'd already had on the show, which is the highest compliment. Like, they enjoyed themselves so much that they would suggest someone close to them to be on the show. So y'all might remember Olivia Black. It was a fantastic interview of the like first batch that I dropped. And Olivia connected me with Pinky Bjorn. And this interview is such a good one. We cover so many topics. We get to hear a bit about how art and, and their art practice and their work as a sex worker are very much intertwined and kind of the ethos around that. Uh, We also get to laugh a lot and talk about family and all sorts of other things. This interview was really fun to listen back to and edit, and I had such a hard time editing it to be under an hour. So it's not, and I'm not sorry about it. You can listen to it in chunks if you have to, but I promise it's worth it. So without further ado, let's jump into it. All right, sweet. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are here with Pinky Bjorn, uh, based out of Chicago. And I'm actually, I have people introduce themselves um, as they wish to be introduced. So if you wouldn't mind with a pronoun and uh, how you describe your sex work. Great. Uh, Hi, my name is Pinky Bjorn. A lucky few know me as Mistress Pinky Bjorn. I use she, her pronouns, although I am also comfortable with they, them, mommy, daddy, whatever uh, seems appropriate for the dynamic that I'm engaging in. And how do I describe my sex work? I call myself a femdom and a multimedia artist. Those things are interlaced for me, so I mention them together. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I can elaborate on that, like. <laughs> yeah, let's take a moment to do that. I'll ask you how you got started in a little bit, but I, I would love to hear more about this interlacing of um, art and sex work. Yeah, that process occurred naturally for me. Um, I'm I'm naturally a dominant person and and an artist. These these are two defining features of my my personality, and they've always been there. 
So to disconnect them is impossible. And also kinky people are creative people. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how you come up with all of these weird ideas of what to do to each other. (laughs) So, I mean, it's creativity. It's all together. And um, lately my, my creative practice and my work as a dominant are one and the same. And I've been focusing on documenting my kinky moments whenever whenever it's appropriate you know not mm-hmm. everyone obviously wants me to take photos during a scene that's fair quite the opposite of what is appropriate some of the time <laughs> but that doesn't mean that those scenes don't feel like creative expression to me and that they don't feed the ultimate goal of you know producing unique photographs that are based on kinky lifestyles Um, But I do, I am very lucky because I have a couple of play partners that are very much interested in allowing me to put them in whatever kind of predicament and then take pictures. So that's kind of what I'm loving right now. Yeah. Oh, I'm so here for that. I, it, it makes me think about both the healing element. I've been really obsessed with this like healing element of BDSM and kink, um, Mm. But also like art is and being creative is inherently healing, in my opinion, too. And so oh, I agree. Yeah. So the, the connection between those two seems real natural in my in my head. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that we I mean, one of the things that we're all dealing with in BDSM is shame. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing there's there's nothing quite like having your your kink which may or may not be tied to some kind of shame put on display and it, you know being on the other side of the camera that's a vulnerable moment and yeah. being a submissive in an, a scene is a vulnerable moment and combining those things can be quite powerful but then to see yourself made to a piece of art made into something beautiful um that's that can be a really transformative experience. And that's, you know, what I've seen happen with some of my subjects and what I, what I hope will continue to occur as I get better at what I'm doing. Well, subs as subjects (laughs) has a nice ring to it. Um, Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I also think it's uh, a different kind of trust similar but different to be to mm-hmm. allow someone to see you and turn you into art and like mm-hmm. um see your shame yeah hold, hold that space and also create a piece so that's that's a really beautiful thing I love I love seeing those two together why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into sex work because I think from our yeah. correspondence it's a it also ties into art. So I'm excited. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm a naturally dominant person. I've been kinky, you know, you know how um, kinky people will tell you they'll, you know, when I was eight years old, this gorgeous woman stepped on my foot with a high heeled shoe and now forever, you know, (laughs) it's, I, I always ask people, you know, do you, do you know the origin? Do you remember something? And it's, it's, it's so often between the ages of eight and 12, And I think really it's just creative people when they're developing sexually, you know, um, it it doesn't go the vanilla way always. So 
that's really my story with with becoming kinky is that you know I was a child I would develop these games and some of the games that I came up with when I was a kid I could just play in session today and they would be just as sexy yes Um, (laughs) so you know and and living a creative life my whole family are artists actually so it was it was a creative childhood in general and that was also part of my developing sexuality so they were all interlaced and you know when I was in my 20s that whole decade I was just trying to figure out how to make a living as an artist how to do something creative and make a decent living Mm -hmm. and then my my kinky life was just you know my private life and uh you know and a lot of artists do this thing where you know for a while you're making a living on the art that you're making and you're selling it and people like it and then you get a new idea and they don't like that idea as much Mm -hmm. so then you feel like you kind of have to make the thing that they were liking and then all of a sudden now you're not making the work that you want to be making you're just making a living so then you're like well if I'm if I'm just going to be making a living and not making what I want then I'll just be a barista or whatever and then I can make whatever I want nights and weekends only you can't because it's fucking exhausting to be a barista or work in retail or whatever. <laughs> so then you're not making any arts. Then you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back to making the art that people wanted to buy and selling that. And it's like this ping pong thing where you're like trying to figure out how to, how to find this balance between needing to eat and pay rent and having this creative need. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're good. So I did that for a decade or so, a little more than a decade. And um, you know, you try everything. And at one point there was this, I think it was the year I turned 30, a, a few things happened at once. And I just sort of realized that I was doing sex work sort of accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, one of the things that happened was I took a figure modeling job and I took the job because I loved the artist. And I found myself in this classroom setting. There's 15 people in the room. I'm naked, they're all staring at me, but my rules are the most important thing in the world. They're absolutely respecting my boundaries. I'm queen, mm-hmm. you know, no one there can do what they came there to do without me. Yeah. But they're, they're sexualizing me and they're objectifying me and they're paying me. Mm-hmm. So it was, I was like, as a kinky person, I was like, I think I kind of like this, you know, it's kind of <laughs> sexy. And, but also at a certain point, you know, I, I realized this is, this is sex work. This is people paying to look at you naked and they're, they're sexualizing me. I mean, for, I want to say for the most part, the, the ways that they were sexualizing me, they were keeping them to themselves. I mean, anybody can see it, but you know, there wasn't a lot of inappropriate uh, behavior or anything like that, but that's, that's what goes on. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was, at the time, I didn't really realize that it was sex work. But around the same time I was taking this uh, art class, it was called uh, the photographic essay. Mm-hmm. And it was like a two-part class. You know, you, you do the, the studying of other photographic essays and then you make one. And uh, while I was studying, we were, we were looking into, you know, the, the Black Book by Maplethorpe, which is yes. basically all about him fetishizing black male bodies Mm 
Mm-hmm. And um, and I I loved Non Golden's Ballad of Sexual Dependency. Mm-hmm. That was one that really spoke to me. And that's an autobiographical collection of photographs of herself and her sexual partners. And there wasn't anything overtly kinky about it, but you can kind of see, you know, that they have they have their own lifestyle that is on display, and it's clearly unique to them. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I loved that collection. And when it was time for me to make my photographic essay, I I was living in a warehouse. It was my first experience with uh, non-monogamy was at that period of my life. And it just was like, we got this beautiful crusty backdrop and all this weird sex going on. So it seemed like the perfect thing to you know focus on for my photographic essay. So I took pictures of all my play partners and Um, all the combinations of things that were happening. And I submitted the, the essay on a Tumblr account. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever my argument was, this is how people share this kind of content these days. This is how people share collections of images about their underground lifestyle. So I just submitted it that way. And, and, you know, then the class was over and I had a Tumblr account full of smut. (laughs) So you know, I just kind of kept putting things on there. And, you know, when you're taking pictures, uh, when you're taking portraits, you, you have the most access to yourself. So I was taking a lot of pictures of myself and, and things that seemed sexy and kinky to me. And I'm, I'm really into my own feet. So it was a lot of pictures of my, my feet. Awesome. Um, which, yeah, obviously a whole bunch of pictures of a sexy lady and her feet on the internet are going to get a certain kind of attention. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So familiar, familiar with this process. And, and so, you know, then I had this little following of people who would engage with me over the internet about my kinks, primarily my feet. And then eventually somebody wanted to buy my panties. So I sold my panties on my Tumblr page. And around the same time also, I was really, really obsessed with uh, Mickey Maud and buying his clips of, you know, just him jerking off from, mm-hmm. you know, his whatever, many vids or whatever. And I just, it, everything kind of clicked all at once that, you know, between the figure modeling and the the Tumblr thing and, you know, the porn that I was purchasing, that what I was doing was sex work. And I, I didn't sort of see it coming, but it was interesting because it was the, it was a moment when I was feeling very creatively fulfilled mm-hmm. and it was also producing me some income. And I just realized I was doing sex work. So great, you know, good, good learning experience. Um, But, you know, I I think I mentioned that all of those (laughs) that when I was taking those photographs, it was my first experience with polyamory Mm -hmm. and um, all of my relationships. I mean, none of us were really qualified (laughs) to be engaging in Um, Mm non-monogamy. You know, we were, it was all of our first experiences with it. And there wasn't a lot of boundary setting and there wasn't a lot of, you know, open communication. So pretty much my whole life blew up all at once and all of my relationships ended all at once. And I was in a really small city and I had just, 
you know, I had done everything I could do there creatively and I, I had sex with everyone there that I wanted to have sex with. And I was like, I, I think I need to leave. So I, I just decided it was time to try something new. And this was about three years ago. So I moved to Chicago and, you know, uh, I'm from the East coast. And when you're from a small city on the East coast and you're an artist, you always think that eventually you're going to move to New York. And I'd visit New York all the time. And I just, I just didn't, it didn't do it for me. You know, it's just a little too, you know, strip molly and uh, I didn't love it. So I, um, I had started visiting Chicago, making some friends here and I love Chicago. It's very, it's very um, many small cities smashed together into one city kind yeah. of it's um it's like a lot of small cities instead of being like a smaller new york you know so i i love chicago so i moved to chicago with just what would fit in my car and i pretty much spent all of my savings to move here and i found myself working a 9 to 5 job in retail and i started uber driving nights and weekends to try to survive and I just, I was here, you know, I, I made the fresh start. I got here, but I, I had no money and no creative practice, no time for it, no mm -hmm. money for it. And I had no play partners. And I was just like, well, fuck this. What is going on? I have to fix all of these things at once. Yeah. And a light bulb just kind of went off. And I realized that I should be working as a dominatrix. It solves all three problems. Yeah. Which is a great idea, but how do you do that, you know? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, enter Olivia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of experience in kink. And, you know, in where I was living before, I, I'd meet someone on the internet. I'd vet them. We'd negotiate via email, you know, and then we'd meet at a designated time and place for a certain amount of time. And we'd play and, you know, then have our aftercare and then we'd go our separate ways until the next appointment so it was I was doing essentially what you do as a dominatrix but it was yeah. just my private sex life and and I'm also I'm an entrepreneur I I've started multiple creative businesses and uh, I went to school for business after I dropped out of art school and so I felt qualified to to do this as a job I just didn't know exactly how to get started and you know what are the new safety concerns that you have to consider when you're you know working professionally all of these things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I started you know reading everything that I could read and um you know there's a book called Prodom that essentially lays out for you that it's it's like a $10 audiobook that I found online or I'm sorry um digital book and I I learned from it that what most people do and, and after, you know, doing it for a while and talking to a lot of professionals, it does seem that this is the case is that you either work for a dungeon and learn that way, or you study with individual pro doms and then you start your business that way. And I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a dungeon kind of person. I did actually have an interview with a dungeon, I think is probably the only place that you could describe that way in Chicago. And it was immediately obvious that that was not for me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have a boss. That's why I like running my own business. So I that. couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not an option for me. So I started reaching out to, uh, to professionals whose 
online presence and you know their website and their Instagram and their Twitter looked like they were running the kind of business that I wanted to run. And one of them didn't respond to me at all. And um, I reached out to Sophia Chase and she very graciously responded and said, you know, I don't have time to mentor someone, but if you get your business started and you get the necessary training, you can apply to use my space, mm. um, you know, independently, which is, which is very gracious of her. And uh, so then now I'm, I realize I need to seek the right training in order to get access to this space. Yeah. And for me, Olivia really, and we're, we're speaking of Olivia Black, Mistress Olivia Black, um, who was on your podcast recently. Mm-hmm. She really sets the bar for for dominance and the and the quality of work that she's doing. And um, I was extremely intimidated by her. So I, mm-hmm. that's why she wasn't one of the first people that I reached out to because you know she was the scary you know the the goal. She was setting the bar. So. Yeah. But after not getting the answer that I wanted from the people that I found more approachable, I, uh, I realized I had, to, I had to get her attention. So I spent, I think probably a month writing her an email. Wow. You know, it's funny because you hear subs talk about doing this, you know, where they're like afraid to reach out to the femdom and they like yes. spend forever crafting the first email. And I mean, guys, I know how you feel. <laughs> this is exactly how I felt. Yeah, I, I mean, she's she's so much, you know, and and so um, anyway, I wrote this email. It was all about the archetypes that we embody as female dominance, and you know the the art of crafting a scene, and my philosophy about everything, and uh, very lofty, but you know the stuff I believe. But you know, yeah. blah blah blah. <laughs> so <laughs> I sent it to her. And thank God she loved it. Um, we do have very similar philosophies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met for drinks and we were fast friends. And she crafted a training program for me that was based on my interests and skill level. And, and she trained me and taught me how to do the job safely and in a way that would be rewarding for me. And I'm forever, forever grateful, forever in her debt. And so are all of the people who ever got to play with me because I went pro. You're all in Olivia's debt. (laughs) That is amazing and such a gift. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was very lucky. I mean, it wasn't a gift, obviously. You know, she does this as a a paid service. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, it was a gift because there's so much that she gave me that no one else could give. Yeah. She's just amazing. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. And now we share the ministry, which is her, her play space that she developed. Um, and she was gracious enough to allow me to help her design the space and, you know, choose all the necessary equipment. Um, and she did an amazing job. The space is, is so sexy. Oh, it's stunning. I've seen photos on her website and I'm just like, it leaves me drooling. Like it is a beautiful space. You really need to come visit with us there sometime. It's uh-huh. it's just delicious. And what you don't see in the photos, there are these enormous metal lockers. And you know, the photos, everything's very clean, you know, mm-hmm. which is which is what we both thought was absolutely the sexiest setting. You know, you you don't want to be distracted by a whole bunch of stuff going on. You it's just 
you and your mistress and a couple of really intense pieces of furniture. Yes. But there's these huge lockers. And when you open the lockers, there's just, I mean, it's just this incredible array of, of different torture devices and, and uh. toys and things. It's just, yeah, it's wonderful. Everything in the world that I could ever want. <laughs> is, <laughs> it's one big room. It's just so wonderful to be there. It, it feels incredible to play there. Oh, that's so dreamy. Yeah, I can't wait to see it personally. Um, yeah, it's on on my list to to come visit. I actually, I don't, I wasn't going to share this. I might edit this out of the podcast, but who knows? <laughs> but I, I had a dream with both you and Olivia in it. And you and I hadn't even oh like really God. spoken yet um that I had had come to Chicago um and we were all able to to play and it was really wonderful I was just oh like, wow let's what? just make your dream a reality let's please do that yeah <laughs> yeah let's do okay I'm in <laughs> great I really doubt that Olivia is going to object <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah it was really I was like so surprised because I don't often remember my dreams and I woke up and I was like okay that that all needs to happen that was really great so yeah, that's, that sounds incredible. Let's do it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Sometimes the best scenes come from some weird dream that you had, you know, Agreed. The, it's the weirdest ideas just kind of come up, you know, and your subconscious sometimes just knows what you really desire. And yeah. So cause our I, conscious I mind, that. our conscious mind mm-hmm. has so much judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I agree. The subconscious like dreams are very telling. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, that's why I keep my journal right next to my bed. So if I wake up, I can just spew it all out. And then later when I'm conscious, I can read it and try to figure out, you know, what, what is this? Yeah. All the sentence fragments and <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that I love, I love the origin story. I love that mm-hmm. you were able to connect with Olivia Black. Cause that seems like such a logical connection in my mind. Like you two, mm-hmm. if you two seem yeah, it's a, it's a really great pairing. Um, I agree. We're so different. And yet we are, we have so much in common about the way that we look at what, at the world and what we do together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Um, and I didn't realize that you two share the space. So that's really, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's space. And, and uh, I actually have a, um, she rents me the, the, garage for my art studio so um really handy because I can keep my photo equipment on site um and and then just pull it out when it's appropriate when when the scene allows um but I also I'm also sort of like a I sort of collect art forms so Mm -hmm. you know I I can't focus on just one type of creative expression so I've got you know my little glass kiln and my metals bench and my leather stuff and whatever in there and just in case I want to pull it out um so it's it's just really wonderful to have you know all of my all of my uh creative tools whether they're you know leather cuffs or (laughs) yeah whatever in one room and then everything else in my other room so it, it allows me to really move freely through my creative process and and not be inhibited by you know, oh, well, I can't do this here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask you what, um, like what artistic medium you were working with, but it sounds like you, you dabble in quite a few different mediums. Yeah. I was, I was uh, originally a a bench jeweler. That was my first 
really my yes. first job as an artist. And um, I just sort of move through things, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I just, I do, I do whatever feels necessary in order to express what, what I'm feeling. Um, and so that kind of means that I'm, you know, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yes. But, but that's how I like it. I actually think that that's how you find something new is if you try a lot of different things and, you know, if I've tried one thing and another thing and no one else has done both of those things together, then I'm going to find an intersection of those two disciplines that no one ever found. And then that intersection is where something new can be created. So that's, you know, that's the approach that I take. So I just try to do everything. The only thing that I can't do in my studio there is ceramic work because, you know, no, we don't need silica dust all over the dungeon. So, right. <laughs> um, so I just, I do that at an, at a, uh, a studio in Chicago that, you know, a lot of wonderful, wonderful people work at. It's like a really great, um, inclusive space. So I don't, I don't even mind going there and supporting them. Yeah. Now I'm just like, oh my God, you're into ceramics. And that's like one of my like favorite things in the whole world. Um, oh my actually, God, yeah. When you come to Chicago, I'll take you to the studio that I go to and you'll, you'll just have the best time. I would love that. Oh, that <laughs> is, that is so, I also really relate to the, the jack of all trades, master of none. I use that term all of the time because yeah. I'm, I'm a dabbler as well. Like I, yeah. I like to learn new things. Um, and some could say I have, maybe I have a fear of commitment or something where like, I, <laughs> you're a multi-potentialite. Thank you. I love that. Yes. You, you're a multi-potentialite. You have the potential to do a lot of different things and you absolutely should. Not everyone is into an expertise, you know, mm-hmm. and our, our culture just values that more for some reason. I think they just know what to do with those people. Yeah. You know, they, if you paint, then you should paint. That's what you do. You know, it's, it's easier to figure those people out. Yeah. But I think that multi-potentialites do have, we have more of a capacity to find something new. So we should just embrace it. And we should see that as something valuable in and of itself. I'm here for that multi-potentialite. I'm going to incorporate that into my my heart and my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a little Ted talk on it. Google it up. It, it's uh, worth a watch yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. That's so you, you do photography too, since you were taking photos mm-hmm. of like, um, mm-hmm. all that. Do you also do, this is kind of a transition an awkward transition maybe into, <laughs> uh, into this photography section of our, mm-hmm. our little talk, but do you do your own photography? Do you hire professionals? Like what's, what is your yeah. process with well, photo shoots? When I first was getting started, um, you know, I was taking a lot of phone selfies and things like that and you know developing my social media presence and um, I unfortunately didn't um, the camera that I was using when I was you know back home or whatever I didn't have it anymore it wasn't mine actually it was one of my partners so I didn't have a camera I was just doing things with my cell phone to try to you know develop my online presence as a as a pro dom and So I did hire some photographers when I was first getting started and I had some good experiences and some great experiences and, you know, one or two, not wonderful experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually I, uh, I did 
get a camera and start to take the practice a little more seriously. Um, and so now I'm taking my own photos. Cool. Um, although I do love collaborating with other photographers. Um, when I, the very first photo shoot that I ever did as a, as Pinky Bjorn uh, was with Jade Larissa, um, who goes by queer.kink on Instagram, probably, yes. you know, probably pissing off a whole lot of people who wish that they had gotten the Instagram handle queer.kink, uh -huh. but they got it. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, they're, they're so amazing to work with. Um, and it was, it was sort of the first time. So, I mean, you know, I'm in my late thirties now, but you know, when I was, you know, 22 and I'm, I'm five foot 10 and I'm naturally thin and conventionally attractive. So obviously I did some modeling mm -hmm. because that's the cookie cutter, you know, type of person that does modeling. <laughs> um, and I did some photo modeling and I always fucking hated it because it's, you know, some creepy guy and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, mm, yeah, move your arm like that. Oh, yeah, look at the camera like you feel this way. And I'm like, I'm looking at the camera like I fucking hate you uh -huh. because <laughs> I can't act. I, I mean, I you you can see how I feel all over my face all of the time. I don't even do role play scenes because mm -hmm. I can't I am me and you are you and I can't pretend otherwise. So it, it doesn't <laughs> I have to actually be really comfortable while I'm being photographed. Uh, mm -hmm. otherwise you unless the point of the photo is for me to look annoyed which I <laughs> very easily achieve so I, I never really was very good at um, photo modeling when I was young and um, working with Jade was the first time that I ever was photographed by someone who wasn't a cis man and they made me feel so comfortable and um, you know uh, <laughs> they took this shot where they got on the ground and they were, they're underneath my ass and they're looking up at my ass and I'm holding a riding crop just underneath my cheeks. Yes. And it's this incredible photo of my butt that I swear to God, that photo launched my career as a femdom. I oh mean, my God, it, I believe it. It's just, it's such a good image. And uh, it, it, I mean, it taught me a lot about being a good photographer to do that shoot. And we did a few more shoots together, um, one or two that were just, uh, you know, Jade's concepts that weren't, um, you know, images specifically for me to use for advertising. Um, and then later we had this, we had this session where this guy hired Jade to photograph our session. And it was the first time I was ever seeing this client. They had, you know, they said, I want to take pictures of you in the scene. I want someone to take pictures of you. And I said, well, only if you hire my friend Jade to do it. And, yeah. and then the guy showed up like an hour late for the session. Obviously I no longer see this client, you know, right. because I, I don't stand that kind of disrespect. Um, but you know, there we are. And, and Jade was paid in advance and we're in space. So we just did another photo shoot and a lot of great images came out of that one too. Um, so I've learned a lot from, from Jade because they're a self-made photographer. You know, they, they didn't, I believe, and I, I really hope Jade, I hope that I'm not saying this incorrectly, but I believe that they taught themselves everything that they know about photography, Yeah. you know, no, no formal training. And then that's how I roll. I mean, I, I'm an art school dropout. I like to figure out how to do things on my own because I feel like if somebody teaches you how to do something, they're just teaching you their way of doing it. And there are a million other ways to do it. Um, you know, so I, I do 
definitely recommend creative training, but you have to keep an eye on that, you know, that you're not just doing it the way somebody else does it, that you're learning the way they do it and then learn the way someone else does it and then yes. figure out your way of doing it, you know? Yes. So um, I learned a lot from Jade. Um, I, I had a really only one terrible experience as a model um, in Chicago with a photographer who everybody loves that has taken sexy, really great images of like a whole bunch of professionals that I, uh, that I really admire. Mm -hmm. And so I hired them. This was probably the only time I ever paid someone um, to take my picture. You know, usually it's some kind of trade. And um, it was an awful, awful experience. They, they were talking shit the whole time. And I was not comfortable because they were talking shit about people in my community. Yeah. And there also, there was this giant pile of cat shit in this kitty litter box, like right next to where we were taking pictures. And it was just, I, I couldn't believe the audacity of someone to invite me into this space and not clean up the cat shit and then stand there and be a dick while you're taking my photo. And so I got, I mean, I, I, I really didn't get hardly any photos from, sometimes I, I use like a crop yeah. from one of the images that I got from that shoot, but it, it just, it really put me off of hiring cis men to photograph me ever or paying for images. I mean, I, I would absolutely pay someone who wasn't a cis man to photograph me, but uh -huh. I just, I just don't do it anymore. And it's, it, I'm, I'm sure that there are plenty of cis men out there that are taking great photos and are treating people with respect. But um, I, I looked at the situation and it really wasn't even just that there was cat shit there or that mm -hmm. he was talking shit. It was, I'm never going to feel comfortable like being vulnerable the way that you need to be vulnerable in order yeah. to take a great photo, you know, with, with a, a cis man. I'm never going to feel that way. You know, I, I feel comfortable with a cis man being at my feet. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable being, you know, on the, the more vulnerable side of that exchange. I mean, obviously when you play, you're both vulnerable, right? but I like there to be a clear negotiated power exchange and that's not the situation in a photo shoot so yeah I just I just don't deal with with cis men in photo anymore um and that's one of the reasons that I want to that I'm trying to develop my skills as a photographer because I want to be able to offer this as a service to my community you know I want to be able to help my sisters create content because we all need constant content it's exhausting how much we yeah. need constant content yeah yeah it's it, it is it, it feels like a this constant pull you know that you have to constantly be giving more mm -hmm. um so you know i i'd like for it to feel fun i'd like for it to feel you know more like a process that we want to engage in and um so i just sort of recently started um, meeting with other femdoms and taking, you know, doing photo shoots. Uh, obviously, I intended to start doing this a long time ago, but COVID. So, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, I have managed to do it. You know, I can stay six feet away and wear my mask and everything like that. So I've done a couple of shoots. I did a shoot with Elodie Rose. Um, we haven't released the images yet, but um, Elodie Rose has the most juicy butt. 
uh, that mm. I have ever seen. It's just, it's, you just want to eat it. Um, so <laughs> it's really hard for me to talk about Elodie without just immediately thinking of their butt. Um, anyway, um, I did a really incredible shoot with Holland of Chicago recently, mm. uh, actually in my home, because I really wanted to create kind of like, you know, you're getting ready kind of boudoir thing. And, yes. um, so the, the, the play space was a little bit too sterile for that, uh, that vibe. So we actually did it in my bedroom. Um, and they were like looking in my mirror and, you know, putting on the lipstick and so sexy. Oh, um, I love it. And also some good butt shots. Um, Helen also <laughs> has like just a very, uh, delicious little, little butt. Um, so yeah, I'm, I guess I'm into butts. Um, and taking pictures of butts and talking about them and thinking about them. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. We love a no. good butt. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, I actually have no interest in photography. I just want people to show me their butt. So it's, a, <laughs> it's the whole thing is a ruse, but no. Me. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. No, not one's even mad, little, you know, no. <laughs> because, because I'm producing photos of butts. Right. So who's, who could be mad about that? It was this magical moment. I'd, I had never been to New York before. So my first time in New York, um, as we're just talking about photos of butts, I'm reminded of this moment that I'm, I met up with a friend of mine who I knew lived in New York and we're walking and it's winter and it's cold. And I was just like, not really a fan of New York. I was like, it's mm. dirty. There's garbage everywhere. And, and it's like cramped. Um, there's some magical bits that I found, but this moment was just kind of like, you can like New York when oh. <laughs> all of these photos like it, they'd been like ripped out of a, a photography book um mm. it looked like we're just blowing across the sidewalk and every single one of them was a butt and, and I oh, just started yeah. picking them up and collecting them and I still have them because I was just like <laughs> I can love New York <laughs> yes you can love New York I actually I love New York for like four days at a time you know yeah. and they're they're a photographer in New York Oh, you know what? Wow. I just said all of that stuff about how I didn't want to uh, work with, with cis men in photo. And that's not true at all. There's a photographer in New York. His name is Steve. I want to say his last name is Prue. I'm really terrible at names. I'm so Steve, sorry, Steve. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we did a digital, we did like a, we did like a, um, a shoot where we pulled up our FaceTimes and he took photos of me somehow, That's you know, cool. I FaceTimed him and yeah, no. And it was, it was like at the height of the pandemic and well, I mean, I guess now is the height of the pandemic, but you know, it was, it was months ago yeah. and we were, I, I went to the play space and, you know, I was like wearing fishnets and leather and stuff. And I just set up my phone and then he, you know, he had his laptop open I don't really know what the technology situation was on his end but yeah. he managed to get these incredible photos of me and just some really good butt shots yes <laughs> and uh, and and they were just I mean it was a great shoot and he was so much fun to work with um and so professional but also you know made me feel sexy in a not creepy way um so yeah that's someone that I would, I would go to New York to work with um, because he's just like so talented. I mean, if he was able to get this, these really great photos of me with our phones, you know, I, yeah. I can only imagine that that would be a shoot. And I've been following him forever. I, I loved his work and I, I reached out to him to do, to do the, the shoot that way because he was, you know, on the internet going like, I don't know how we do this these days, but let's try some kind of you know, socially distant phone shoe thing. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. How do you do that? 
yeah, let's, let's try that, you know? And, and that's like, what's the upside of all this madness is it really does force innovation. Yes. Some of the time it forces you to do OnlyFans and we don't love that, but you know, um, some, some people do. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if some, some people have certainly discovered that OnlyFans is exactly the business for them. So, you know, yeah. There's some to, upside to each their own and de yeah, definitely some upside. And um, I've heard of photographers doing the like virtual photo shoot. And I'm always so curious about like how that works. I'm glad you got to do that. I've also had some like weird experiences with um, like cis male photographers, but also some really mm -hmm. good, good ones. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's, a, it's a toss up. It really depends on the person or where they're at that day even. Yeah. You know, I don't um, go out and give a bad review to the photographer that I was talking about having a terrible experience with um, because they could have, they were clearly having a bad day. I mean, I could tell by the things that they were coming out of their mouth that they were having a bad day. Right. Um, and it was, it was a bad experience, but this is someone that I got, you know, references from, you know, that, that I, I, I checked to see yeah. if they were a good person to work with. Um, I just... I, I know that I need to feel comfortable and sexy yep. and, you know, maybe it was easier for me to feel that way with Steve because we were able to get to know each other without actually being in each other's presence. You know, maybe, maybe that was a great first introduction, you know, because, uh, I didn't have to feel, you know, whatever that I feel about someone being in my space. Um, I just was able to just get to know him and do my thing with a certain amount of distance. So that was really actually kind of a, maybe that was the perfect way to meet him because now I feel we're friends and I'd love to work with him again. Yeah. But who knows if I felt that way, if I had felt the additional vulnerability of being, you know, in person doing a shoot. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these walls that have to be broken down initially to like, like those first few poses or outfits or whatever are always like, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I feel I feel the walls breaking down or being reinforced depending on the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely like a lesson to learn um when you're when you're working as a photographer like how do you put people at ease? Yeah. You know, how do you make them feel comfortable? I actually did a shoot with Olivia and it was, you know, it's me and one of my best friends hanging out, you know, mm -hmm. we did shots you know, and it's still a little bit nerve wracking to be yeah. on the other end of the camera, but you know, it, it's doing shoots with people that you, you know, you really know and that you care for. It's a whole other thing, you know? So I, I think that maybe, maybe um, in this therapy session, that is this conversation I have taken it, taken away, but, <laughs> but as a photographer, I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to put people at ease. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I feel really at ease. I know you're the one being interviewed right now, but like, I feel at ease talking oh, to you. So that's really nice. <laughs> that's so I'm sure it comes with its own set of nerves being the interviewer. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm always like, am I talking too much? But that's what editing's for. Yeah, I think um, you're great at this. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're going to do another awkward pivot because I don't know how to pivot cool. from photography to talking about family and coming out. So that is how I'm going to do oh, it. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, I thought about it and I was like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> oh, God. I know. Um, so are you are you prepared <laughs> to enter this part of our conversation? 
Sure. Yeah. And, you know, actually, um, I, I wish if I had thought about it beforehand, we could have talked about how I did a lot of my early modeling stuff with my sister. Oh, um, we and that can, could have been that's a that great been pivot. A Let's do that. That's our thread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that we should put this awkward part of the conversation in the in the final audio. I mean, I, I think that the awkward pivot is kind of fun. <laughs> I think it's really important, actually. Yeah, yeah <laughs> people need to understand sometimes this is what you need. This is just like when I'm negotiating with somebody on the couch before we play. It's like, we just kind of have to hit the points, you know, it doesn't always happen in a natural flow. We don't have to be smooth. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. We just have to get everything done. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, coming out. Yeah. So my, my younger sister and I are um, very similar. Um, she's actually probably like a more extreme version of me. You know, she, she looks more extreme. She, she acts more extreme. It's like, she's like me with the volume turned all the way up. Wow. And um, yeah, we used to do some modeling together because we look, we look like bizarro versions of each other. You know, she's, she's got like olive skin and curly dark brown hair and blue eyes, but wow. structurally very similar. It's really weird. Um, so, so yeah, we used to do some, some modeling together. And um, she did me a solid when we were young by just being abrasive as hell and doing things like yelling out in church that she doesn't believe in God and, you know, telling our parents that she's bisexual when she's 13 and stuff like that. I love her already. So just, oh my God. I love her so much. Yeah, no, she really did me a solid by just being so abrasive um, with, with all this information. Um, yeah. Uh, so I am fully out to her. She knows that I am pansexual. She knows that I'm non-monogamous, that I'm kinky and that I work in sex work. Um, but I mean, that's so many coming outs. That's like four coming outs. Yeah. You know, it's, yes. to, it's, what am I going to sit my mom down and be like, here of like all of these things that point you're going to have questions point about. two yeah <laughs> yeah and you know there are a lot of gays in my family and mm -hmm. you know I am proud of my Catholic family for working through how to reconcile their faith with loving their family mm -hmm. and you know they did a lot of hard work to do that that I witnessed through my childhood as a result I believe them to be you know, loving and accepting people. However, it's so much to educate someone on to say, yes. you know, whatever, whatever. So it, actually I did sort of come out to my parents as non-monogamous um, because uh, I used to be married. One of the people that I was, that one of the relationships that blew up when, when all of my relationships ended all at once was actually um, my spouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, so obviously they knew my spouse. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point I was dating someone else who was very important to me and it didn't seem fair to them that they, you know, didn't get to know my family because they were not my, the first person to came, come into the picture. Right. So I did, you know, um, I used to uh, operate a, a small commercial gallery and both of my partners were at an opening and my parents were at the opening. So it was like, okay, fuck it. We're, we're coming out, you know, um, yeah. mom and dad, this is, you know, and, and they were like, who is this? But what about 
the other person. And I was like, okay, this is what's going on. You know? So I talked them through the non-monogamy thing. I remember telling my, when I, when I came out as non-monogamous to uh, one of my, um, my gay uncles and, and the look on his face, he was like, oh my God, have you told your parents yet? Can I be there when you tell your parents? Like he was so excited <laughs> that I was going to blow my parents' mind with this. Um, so that was really funny, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and they worked through it and they processed it, whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I told one of my other siblings that I'm still non-monogamous now and that I date people of all genders and, um, they're cool about that. I just, everyone in my family thinks that I'm running this, um, really successful photography business in Chicago, which is, you know, not, yes. not untrue. You know, mm-hmm. I am, I am, but the thing I'm documenting is me working as a, as a pro dom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just it's so much to educate someone on. I'm not gonna, I don't really want to go through the work of explaining, you know, that being kinky is not some kind of mental illness to my mother. I mean, how, how do you walk someone who's had, as far as you know, a relatively vanilla life through, you know, yeah, it's perfectly okay that I like to safely cut people with a scalpel and fill a cup with their blood. And like, how do you, yeah. how do you, I'm so far down the rabbit hole at this point, you know, if I, if I had taken them along with me on the journey, you know, if, if they had been privy to my revelation that working as a nude figure model was essentially sex work. And if they had been if they had been there with me, I think that they would get it. But what, you're not going to tell your mom, who also, by the way, was a figure model in college, like, oh, doesn't this feel like sex work? And like, I, I didn't have those conversations with them as it was developing. So mm-hmm. now it's it feels so far gone. Yeah. And is is the, just because I'm not terribly familiar with the view on like sex work in Catholicism is, or on kink in, in Catholicism, is it viewed as like a mental illness or like there's something wrong with honestly, you if you're into that? I, I honestly don't know. I don't okay. know. Cool. Um, I mean, Catholicism is so fucking kinky. I mean, we drink the <laughs> right? blood, we eat the body, you know, we, we self-flagellate. It's, it's so, yes. no, it's so kinky. Um, and, and we're not really Catholics anymore. Um, okay. You know, we we went collectively as a family. We went through a, a loss of faith um, when when all of the uh, when all of the rape allegations were coming out against priests. We just you know right. couldn't couldn't reconcile being a part of it anymore. But they're they're an older generation, and mm-hmm. there is there is a generational difference between the way people handle and approach and understand BDSM. Mm-hmm. I see it in my clients all the time. You know, there, there, there used to be an attitude that, you know, this was very shameful and, you know, secretive. And, you know, you'll, you'll still meet older clients who've been engaged in, uh, they've been engaged in kink for a long, long, long time, but it's a separate part of their lives. They would never come out and, you know, it's, it's, you know, disgraceful behavior. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's, that's, there's been so much progress um, within the BDSM community toward 
understanding consent and risk and, and understanding shame and, you know, understanding the difference between actions that you take in a scene that could be re-traumatizing versus healing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that distinction is something that we pay attention to now. And that's that, I don't think that has always been the case. I mean, obviously I'm 36. There are probably people who are, who were part of those communities, you know, long ago that might refute what I'm saying, but it, it seems as though there has been a lot of progress made in the way we engage in BDSM. And, you know, it, it does feel now like the focus is more on healing. And uh, whereas before it might've just been more of an indulging in, or I guess it was more often, maybe an indulging in um, shame and maybe a repeating of some bad cycles or things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's still, the, that's still gonna be the opinion of my parents that you know if i'm beating people and getting off on it that there must be something wrong with me you know <laughs> so yeah um, i think you're i think you're very correct or it seems like in my observations too with my clients and just like knowing the bdsm world that things have shifted i think in the world too things are more we have more verbiage around trauma and where that sits in our body and the healing process. So I think of course that's going to transfer over into, into BDSM and kink where it's like, Oh, we have more of this language and Mm -hmm. can be more aware of when things are re-traumatizing or when we're dissociating, when we should actually be like more present. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff to be aware of in order to engage in BDSM. And, and it's, it's the responsibility of everybody involved to to be aware of themselves and where they are in in that process you know because of course everyone involved in BDSM has experienced trauma because mm-hmm. everyone everywhere has experienced trauma mm-hmm. so you know it's it's just um, the how consciously you respond to it that um, you know determines whether you're you're engaging in BDSM is healthy or not. Yeah. And and, how well you're communicating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and at at this point, I really don't play with anybody who doesn't do therapy, you know, because I've just, you know, I weed people out when, when they're displaying behaviors that are problematic um, and Mm -hmm. not communicating the way that they need to communicate with me. And if I can't trust them, to communicate, then I, I just don't invite them to continue playing with me, um, which is a, a privileged position to be in. I, I recognize that. And, you know, early on when I was first getting started, you know, anybody who was respectful via email and had enough references or whatever, I'd give them a shot. And, you know, when I was, when I was very much in financial need, I didn't necessarily have the, um, the, ability to be as discerning about who I was playing with. Um, but now I can, I'm very lucky in that I have enough established clients that I can be very picky and I can insist, you know, that if somebody is not, um, is not capable of communicating the way I need them to communicate, then they need to get some therapy in order to learn how to do that. Um, you know, so it's, there's still a lot of progress to be made. I mean, humans are always going to, um, behave badly, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's still true within the BDSM community. And 
certainly it's true within the sex work community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're making, we're making progress. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I just don't want to explain all that to my mom. I, but, um, yeah, I hear that. It's hard enough work for us doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is there, um, when you, when you told your sister, how was, how was her reaction? She said, well, that makes sense. <laughs> it, yep. You have to understand that there, there literally has never been a point in my life when there wasn't a small group of men following me around, waiting for me to tell them what to do. I mean, when I say being mm-hmm. dominant is the cornerstone of my personality, I mean it. I mean, like from the moment my personality emerged when I was like one, it was just me conducting people, you know, and um, thank God for BDSM because that's how I learned how to, first of all, wield that power responsibly mm-hmm. and, and, and second of all, um, get the most out of it, enjoy it the most. Yes. So yeah, when I, you know, I was probably, I think it was over Christmas break last year. I, I was home. I'm not this past Christmas, but the one before that. I went home and we were, you know, we were in the guest room or whatever. And I was like laughing at my phone and, you know, she's looking at me like, what the fuck is so funny? And I was like, well, I just got a photo from my domestic sub and they are cleaning my kitchen in the apron that mom made us for Christmas last year. And um, (laughs) I showed her the photo and she was like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. And then I explained the whole thing and, you know, just basically said, yeah, so I, I'm a, um, a sexual dominant. And I turned it into a business and, you know, I don't love the term dominatrix, but it is the term that people understand the most. Mm-hmm. So, and, and she was just like, mm-hmm, no, that makes sense. And it just does. I mean, if you, if you've known me growing up and you see that, you know, I, I was like the head of a club and there'd be like boys everywhere. Like, what do we do now? You know, just, <laughs> it, it was, it's just always been like that. So I just finally figured out how to make the most out of it. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I do think that you can teach dominance. And I, I do think that you, like for some people it's in there naturally and you have to unearth it. You know, just, just because you hear a lot of professional dominance talking about how it's just always been the way that they are, which is what I'm saying. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you can't become that if that's what you want to become. Oh, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. You have to embrace it. I feel like there could, there was probably a point that a uh, point where you had the option to choose whether to like embrace your dominance mm-hmm. or, or par it back. Oh yeah. And I've, yeah. I've chosen to par it back at, at multiple points in my life, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously now I can see that that's not, that wasn't, I, I, I can't say that I have regrets, but I wasn't serving myself by, by choosing that. You, you experiment with different ways of being and, and you have to find the one that makes you happiest. And, and this is what makes me happy. That's so great just to kind of bring it back to family a little bit and like coming out, I came out to my family uh, over COVID um, because I found it. Yeah. It was, I mean, my family is a little, they're, they're not Catholic. My father is atheist and my, my mom is spiritual, but like agnostic. Um, Mm. I was like baptized Lutheran just in case, you know, and uh, yeah. just in case, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. just in case there's hell. Just, yeah. I mean, maybe we want to do this. <laughs> and, and so like, I wasn't too afraid of them disowning me, but I had, it got to this point where it was, it was just too hard to hide it with mm. the struggle with COVID. And we were talking more often because we're all mm. worried that like, maybe this will be the last time we talk to each other. 
So I just, I, I was just like, I'm having a really hard time keeping this from you and I don't want to keep this from you. And it like, when you were saying like, you've learned how to wield this, uh, this dominance in a way that like is pleasurable and also gets you what you need and want in life. Um, right. like it's hard when we can't share that with the people closest to us. Like I, Definitely. it was such a relief to be able to tell my parents, even though they were just kind of like, uh-huh. And like, we haven't really <laughs> talked about it since. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of feel like it's possible that my family completely knows because they're, they're nosy. They're really, I mean, I don't, they're not nosy. We just, we share everything, Yeah. you know, and, and no one has really asked that the last time I was home, my mom did say, you know, why haven't I seen the photos that you're taking? And I was like, well, let me show you a couple. So I showed her a few self-portraits that were of me and, you know, they were of a, of a sexual nature Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like a full frontal cunt shot or anything but you know I I showed her (laughs) you know me in a gas mask and and a thong or whatever yeah and um I told her about a photo shoot that I did with with Elodie Rose where um they were leather clad and um you know I I explained that Elodie has a a leather kink you know Mm -hmm. so there was some hinting that happened and then the questions just stopped you know and um I feel that it's possible that we're doing a don't ask, don't tell thing, you know, and we have plenty, plenty else in common to talk about, you know, and and I actually do have another business that I run that is, um, you know, above board that everyone's Mm -hmm. comfortable with. So as far as they are concerned, that's my job, you know, and, and the photography stuff is just me being weird and artsy and you know, whatever they don't seem to want to know more and I guess I maybe I would feel compelled to share it with them if they were asking yeah you know yeah I think that's what that's what did it for me with my family where they were asking enough questions where I was just like mm-hmm. all right I'm tired of coming up with shit like yeah just gonna, yeah yeah I don't know I I I value honesty yeah but um I also value privacy Mm-hmm. And I don't like it when my mom talks to me about her, her sex with my dad. And mm-hmm. it, that's the other thing about all of this is it's not just coming out about my job. It's coming out about my sex. And yeah. I don't want to talk about that with my mom. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of none of her business. If I get off on people sucking my toes, you know, she doesn't want to know that. Yeah. You know, no. If there's someone in my life that's really, really important to me and, and my mom happens to be here, I'll introduce her to them. You know, she doesn't know that, that, that she doesn't need to know that my relationship with that person is that they like to drink my piss. You know, she can just, you know, know that they're important to me. That's enough. That's a very important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on now. (laughs) She, I don't think that she's a judgmental person. I don't think that my family would disown me if I told them. I just, I think about how much I want to know about them. And, you know, that's what I share. Yeah. But with my younger sister, like, tell me everything. I want oh, to know. Absolutely. What, what did that weird, how did that weird date go? Tell me every detail. You know, that's just the relationship that we have. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, definitely. I tell her funny stories about accidentally pissing in someone's eye or whatever, you know, something like that, you know. She, she loves it. She'll, she'll eat it up. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to have that relationship because it, it definitely makes me feel like 
I get to be my authentic self, but I also, I like being um, the version of myself that I was to my family, you know, the, the kid. Yeah. Is there uh, on the, on the topic of family, is there anything, anything that like you wanted to talk about that came up when you chose that topic? No, I, I actually was going to tell you at the beginning of this interview that I didn't want to talk about family because I I reread the questions this morning and I was like, oh, I don't know why I said I wanted to talk about family. I don't want to talk about family, but I'm comfortable with everything that we just discussed. Great. Good. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was like, when I was looking over the questions that you sent me or like the topics that you sent me, I was like, oh, I got shit to say about that. And then I I thought about it again and I was like, I don't want to say shit about that. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's such a tricky topic, you know? Yeah. There's so much there that it just changes from day to day. Like one day you're like, yeah, "Yeah, family, I got shit to say about that. And then today you're like, (laughs) yeah, I, I, this already this conversation has gone very differently than how I practiced but that's fine <laughs> you know, that's just, I, I'm I'm a pretty vulnerable person I, I'm pretty comfortable being being myself um yeah. you know and, and I'm also pretty comfortable uh admitting when I fuck up so if it turns out I said something that I feel very differently about in a week then I'm happy to just publicly admit that it's not a problem <laughs> yeah I feel the same I think it's it's an important practice yeah, well. I changed my mind a lot. So <laughs> very practiced at it. My Same. subs will attest to that. What my sign are you? I'm a cancer. Okay, great. I love that. Does that, does that mean something to you? Uh, well, I just, I have an affinity for cancers. I really love them. Okay. I also know like not to piss them off. Um, so I really try not to. Uh, that's okay. a cancer. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, the, the whole thing with astrology freaks me the fuck out because I don't get it at all, but whenever somebody says something to me about like somebody like did my chart and it's all fucking spot on, it's Uh creepy, you know, but like, I also, I'm just not going to learn all that stuff. There's so much stuff to learn. I'm just so much. I've just started doing this. Like the way I've, I've learned astrology is by asking people what sign they are. Um, Mm. and then like, uh, connections have been made because it's just like very socially yes. uh, observable yeah. um yeah. and then as I get co- as I've gotten comfortable with that I'm just like oh so like what's your moon and what's your moon and rising and then now <laughs> I'm like oh, okay I'm getting a little deeper um yeah so I don't really- know but I have a screenshot of it on my phone that I can send you <laughs> yeah please because people please ask you so often these days you know <laughs> somebody asked me to send my chart because they were making me a cake like a custom cake <laughs> And they were like, oh, can you please supply your like whatever chart? And I was like, what is that? And I had to like Google what they were asking for. And then I was like, oh, and then I had to ask my mom when I was born and, yeah. and do the whole thing. And then I sent it to them. And then they made me this beautiful cake that I loved. And I was like, do I love the cake because it's made for my, I don't know what's going on here, <laughs> but it was a good cake. I mean, it was a really good cake. Like it's, if you're dating in the queer sphere or like the queer realm at mm. all, like you have to know at least your sun, moon and rising. I just, I just but that's what I like about dating from a dominance perspective yeah. is that I'm just like, no, no, I don't do that. And, and, and everybody's like, okay, you don't do that. Right, sounds good. Yeah. That makes me really happy. <laughs> um, should we, oh, did you want to, um, 
You had mentioned in the email, in our email correspondence about being in the lifestyle and then moving into pro. Did you have any thoughts you wanted to share about like the difference between lifestyle and pro? Oh my gosh. Yes. That has been such a strange, uh, strange journey. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I'm discovering, or one of the things that I've discovered in talking to a lot of other sex workers is that, um, it's possible that that's a bit unusual that I, that I had so much experience in the lifestyle prior to, uh, going pro. It seems to me that it's very typical for people to be introduced to this lifestyle as a professional mm. or to, to, or to get into sex work when they're in their early twenties. So they're still developing sexually, you know? Um, I never would have had the balls to do this in my 20s. It wasn't until I turned 30 that I, you know, looked in the mirror one day and was like, I'm fucking hot. I should do some nude figure modeling, you know, and before yes. that, I never, you know, had the had the audacity to do something like that. But the transition was fucking weird because mm -hmm. when you're. So like I said, I mean, the process is very much the same, right? I, I, I was using FetLife a lot, just mm -hmm. like what other options were there back then? Right. Um, you know, and this was, this was like, I started using Tinder when Tinder became a thing, um, but it was still tricky to find kinky people there. So I was using FetLife, but it was essentially, you know, you meet someone on the internet, you vet them, you negotiate via email, and then you get together and then you negotiate prior to the scene, you have the scene, you have the aftercare, and then they go on their way. So it's essentially, that's the process when you're a pro dom. And that was the process I was engaging in. Um, so I ex expected it to be very much the same, but the big difference right off the bat was these people were picking me, not the other way around. So I was, I used to go out and I'd scour for submissives that you know, were saying the things I wanted them to say and looking the way I, I wanted them to look or whatever. Yeah. And now people are coming to me. And um, so that was really strange. And also there isn't necessarily, there, a lot of people who are experienced clients don't, uh, they don't disclose as much detail. They don't wanna communicate with you um, mm -hmm. to the same degree that someone who is maybe interested in forming a personal dynamic uh, would. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of top drop stuff when I first got started because, you know, I didn't know that person well enough to know if everything that I did was okay for them. Um, you know, that was really troubling. Um, and but, will you define top drop? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I can define top drop the way I understand it and the way mm -hmm. I experience it, which is essentially it's a, an equivalent of sub drop um, that dominance experience where you know you you have you know you have that that high in a scene mm -hmm. and then you can experience an equivalent low um after a scene and it can be a you know that evening or a day or two later or whatever um and a lot of people will describe it a lot of different ways but essentially i have a, a, an anxious or panic response when I'm reviewing the scene in my head and I identify moments when I might have caused harm. Mm -hmm. um, and even though I, I have this like obsession with 
you know, whether or not I'm causing harm. And I don't always trust the people that I'm playing with to know themselves well enough to tell me whether or not I've caused harm. Yes. So, you know, this is, this is my shit, you know, I deal with in therapy, whatever, but um, it is the responsibility of a dominant to, you know, try to understand their play partner well enough to know what behaviors are going to be um, you know, sexy and feel good and what behaviors could be causing them, you know, psychological or physical harm. Yeah. Um, so I was used to being able to spend a month, you know, emailing with someone and I went to a couple of emails prior to meeting, you know, and there are tons of people out there that are recreating their traumas in BDSM. And there are tons of people out Mm -hmm. there that want you to beat the shit out of them, not because they've really, you know, really processed why they want that, but because they're punishing themselves and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, I have, I have a lot of amazing clients who are very, very, you know, well-adjusted, uh, emotionally and really, you know, do the work to look at themselves, but that's not everybody out there, Mm -hmm. you know? So I had a lot of trouble with that at first, you know, um, and I've gotten a lot better at assessing, the communications that I'm receiving from someone to try to suss that out. Um, so the issue is not entirely resolved, but I've gotten better at it. Um, anyway, on the flip side, the thing that I right off the bat fucking loved about the difference between uh, being just strictly lifestyle and being a professional is that, like I said, I was picking people before. So I was picking people based on mutual interests largely, right? Mm -hmm. And now that's what's happening. People are picking me based on mutual interests, but they're also coming to me with things I've never even considered, you know? So Mm. every new client, I'm learning all of this stuff about kinks that I didn't think I'd like. And I, I entered into this phase of trying things that weren't my idea to try. You know, and I always considered myself to be really, you know, um, adventurous and curious and kink. And, you know, I I had like a leather shop that I went to uh, all the time where, you know, I'd go in and what's this toy? And then they'd teach me how to use it. And, you know, Um, but I was picking the stuff, you know, it was my interest that was driving my exploration. And now it's my client's interests that are driving my exploration. And it just opened up all of these doors. Um, so it's really been kind of a creative and sexual awakening for me to be exposed to all these different kinds of people that I wouldn't necessarily have picked for myself. Oh, that's awesome. Which is inc- yeah, it's really great. It is a little bit tricky to, to navigate um, developing attachments to people that are paying you. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's a little bit difficult to reconcile, but you know, it, it's the same as being an artist and pouring your heart and soul into a piece of art and then trading it for money. Yeah. It's a weird feeling, you know, but we, this is a capitalist society. It is what it is, you know? So um, that's been a tricky thing to navigate, but I've also discovered that, you know, because the power exchange is my primary kink, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> people giving me money really turns me on, you know, it's, it, they're, they're giving me their, their life. I mean, when you trade your life for money, that's what we all do. You know, you go out there, you work, 
they give you money. That's your time. That's your, your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they're just giving it to me. It, it feels really, it makes me feel very powerful. And I love feeling powerful. And a big part of my attraction to kink is that I, I grew up resenting that I feel very powerful and in control and I'm a woman and that's mm-hmm. not how the world treats me. And I resent that. And I love a power exchange in, in kink because they acknowledge that this is my rightful place. Yeah. And so that power exchange reaffirms my self image. And um, there's nothing that does it as successfully as them handing me an envelope full of money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's been a whole, I mean, it's been a whole um, educational journey that I'm still on. Yeah. Cause I feel like, I feel like the definition of like, what is the difference between lifestyle and pro is still like, it's more of a feeling than anything you can actually describe. The difference is money. Yeah. The difference That's is money. Difference. And, and honestly, it's not even that always, because there are plenty of like, tell me the difference between a personal relationship, a personal kinky relationship where one person has the responsibility of handling the bills with their job and, and the relationship that I have with my clients, it's really not that different. There's the logistics. That's what's different. Yeah. But it's, it's also, you know, who you would choose to play with or whatever, but, but not even always that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So the difference between the difference between pro dom and lifestyle really depends on the, the dom. Yeah. All right. Should we do our rapid fire questions? And uh, I don't want to take up too much of your afternoon. Um, Oh, you're, you're fine. I'm going to put on pants because I am going to (laughs) leave when we're done with this conversation and go get a (laughs) test. But, um, but yeah, I guess I decided that it's time to put on pants. It's like almost three o'clock in the afternoon. So (laughs) pants time, pants time. Yeah. Hit hit me with your rapid fire. Okay. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. I think we're wearing the same pants. Books or movies? (laughs) (laughs) They're so good. That butt. Speaking of butts. (laughs) Yeah, it's my my literal my literal moneymaker. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, books or movies? Ooh, books. Mm -hmm. Favorite place you've ever been? Wow. Oh shit, that's a really hard one. Mm favorite place I've ever been I went to Kauai once which is a smaller island uh in Hawaii and the second I got there I went for this eight mile hike up a mountain which I don't recommend I definitely got elevation sickness (laughs) but uh, when I got there I was at the rainiest point on the planet I believe and that's probably my favorite place I've ever been that sounds magical. It was like being on another planet. Oh, I love that. Uh, a book from your mandatory reading list. Real Service. I wish I could remember the authors off the top of my head, but it's a, a DS couple who wrote it. And it explains the service kink. I, I do make my clients read it. Very cool. Um, a Secret Talent secret talent I'm so um forthcoming when I think I'm good at something I don't know if I've kept any of my <laughs> talents secret 
Um, geez. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm actually a really good cook. I, um, I just don't like really make time for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't tell people that I do it because I want them to look for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Should I, I bleep actually... out this entire question? No, it's okay. <laughs> I guess I don't mind them knowing that I can. I mean, I can do all of the things that they do for me for myself. Yeah. I just, um, you know, I just want them to do it. Yeah, 100%. But I, I'm, I'm a pretty great cook. I make a, a mean banana bread. Oof. So I guess it's baking, but I'm a good, I'm good at baking too. I make a really good pie crust. Oh, pie crust is an art. Mm. Um, a song, a musical artist, or an album that you're currently obsessed with? Ooh. Um, Christine and the Queens. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Always. I, I mean, I, and I, I love that they release a lot, they release a lot of their songs in French and in English. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's like a franglais thing that happens in the song, but sometimes they release both versions. Mm-hmm. and uh, all of it I love all of it um I, I have like a, a fantasy that I'm learning how to speak French by obsessively listening to both versions <laughs> that's not happening but I imagine <laughs> that it's happening um and and I, I I you know I even like I bought like a French Rosetta Stone thing because I I want to be able to understand what they're singing in French because uh, I just love them they're so good yeah, so good. Uh, finish this sentence. Good sex is whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know how to answer it any other way. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Oh, um, I kind of want to live forever. Mm. I feel like I'd regret it, but that's what I want eternal eternal youth eternal life that's so good that's not one we've gotten yet um (sighs) and what's something simple that brings you joy a bath Mm. i i um said to someone recently that whenever i don't know what to do next i take a bath because it's always the right answer yeah that is a that is a solid first step to finding the right yeah (laughs) yeah Well, so cool. That that's the end of the rapid fire question. And I love your rapid fire questions. Those are really cute questions. Thank you. I, I like yeah. ending with those because they it just feels it feels really good. Yeah, it wraps it up nice. Yeah. But thank you so, so much for taking the time. This has been really great and it's so cool to get to know you. And I do want to come visit in Chicago very soon. Yeah, you should, because I'm going to want to, next time I'll want to ask you a whole bunch of questions. Deal. That is a, you know me better than I know you. So we got to do it the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you want. (laughs) That sounds great. I'd love it. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Come visit me soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Pinky. You're welcome. And that is my interview with Pinky Bjorn. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know this is a longer episode than usual. Um, but I really, I couldn't trim out all of these like transparent moments of, uh, awkward transitions and like vulnerability and the conversation was so juicy. So I just couldn't, couldn't leave any of that out. If the goal of this show is to humanize sex workers, then some of the most human moments are shown in these vulnerable times when we just are human. It's really beautiful. Uh, so I couldn't leave those out. 
Um, I did the whole thing at the beginning of the show because I remembered or I put it in later. You'll never know. But if you want to support the show, there's all different kinds of ways to do that. Patreon is probably the best and most effective way. Thank you for listening. And, oh, man, a spacey thing, spacey fact. Um, Spatulas were actually not cooking implements. Uh, when we first found them, they were an alien screwdriver. So when you're flipping a pancake next time, remember, they're actually just screwing it. Why am I doing this in the next <laughs> No one will ever know. Nanu nanu, motherfuckers. <laughs> 